Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. The Minnesota North Stars have upset the defending Stanley Cup champion Edmonton Oilers. And the North Stars will move on to the Stanley Cup final. Now ready to challenge for a Stanley Cup. That club against Cinderella, a late season makeover. All they've done is come from absolutely nowhere to beat the top two teams in regular season standing and then dethrone the defending Stanley Cup champion, Edmonton Oilers. It's Cinderella and Pittsburgh. Boy, some some great Canadian accents there. That's a little Ron McLean. Hockey yeah. in Canada. Love it. A young Ron McLean who is basically Don Cherry was next to him too. The wow. voice of uh, the, the voice of uh, Hockey Night in Canada from the Studio wow. Hostel. Yeah, those are some great, great Canadian accents. Well, welcome in. This is Minnesota Sports Rewind, where we do deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events, games, trades, moments, cup runs. In this case, I'm Phil Mackey. We got Judd Zolgad, producer who loves hockey, Declan Goff. And this episode is all about the Minnesota North Stars run to the Stanley Cup final in 1991. And we're going to shut up in about 10 minutes and let Lou Nanny and then Mike Madano join the show to tell the story from their perspective. And and we'll get to that in about 10 minutes from now, like I said. But I just want to set the scene quickly and then pass it along to Judd Zolgad, who was in his prime during the 1991 Stanley Cup (laughs) I was great in that playoff run. (laughs) I was absolutely pounding buds every night. This was one of the most improbable deep playoff runs in Minnesota sports history. You had a team that finished 12 games under 500 in the regular season with like 14 ties to go along with it, too. And they still get into the playoffs because at that time in the NHL, there's only 21 teams and 16 get in. So the majority of teams get into the playoffs in that era. And it's worth noting that it wasn't just like this bad team that got in. I mean, they had some talent on that team. Mike Madonna, Brian Bellows, uh, veterans like Neil Broughton, Bobby Smith, his second tour with, with the North Stars. John Casey was the goalie. They wind up beating the Blackhawks in six games in the first round. A really good Blackhawks team. Then they beat a really good Blues team in six in the second round. The Oilers in five. And then they take a two-to-one series lead in the Stanley Cup final over the Penguins. Who would have thought? Before Mario Lemieux powered up and the Penguins eventually took the cup in six games. And two years later, the North Stars were gone. They went to Dallas. So what stands out? (laughs) That's quite the fast forward. And then they left. They are gone. And then they left town. So what what do you remember most? What stands out most in, in that two or three months of being bad in the regular season and yeah. making that run. So I'm, I'm actually going to take you back uh, that season 
not even that year to opening night, October 4th of 1990, the North Stars opened at Met Center in Bloomington against the Blues. And, and just to go back on what we talked about a couple days ago on when we recapped uh, the North Stars move to Dallas and the whole thing now about the state of hockey, right, and sellout crowds. I remember going to that October 4th game, which Brett Hull, who would, of course, go on to help the Stars win a Stanley Cup in 1999, was playing for the Blues, and he scored two goals in that game. The North Stars lost their home opener 3-2, to two, and I remember being in the Met that night, Phil, and it was empty. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some digging this morning, and get this. So just to, just to set the scene of the interest and expectations of this team, Right, because it got on a nice run, but sometimes teams are sort of crescendoing as franchises, and it's like the run comes, and you're like, "Yeah, that's it." And sometimes, it, and sometimes it is more along the lines of, "Where the hell did that come from?" The North Stars in the ninety ninety one regular season at Met Center averaged seven thousand eight hundred and thirty eight fans to finish last in attendance in the National Hockey League wow. for the fourth consecutive season. Wow. So, like again, just to go back to you youngsters who look at the Wild and are like, how did hockey leave? I can't believe it. And, yes, it's surprising. But the whole thing, of but because the Wild sells out, 7,000-plus fans last in attendance for four consecutive years. <sighs> Opening night is, I swear to you, and I couldn't find the box score with an attendance attached, but I was in the press box, and I remember looking at all the empty seats and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. And so wow. so that team, the, the 81 team that, that 10 years previous to this had made a Stanley Cup run, Phil, was a combination of old and young players uh, that had eliminated and ended Montreal's run of Stanley Cups at four consecutive the previous spring. And so when that team made a run, there was an excitement of, yeah, here we go, and it's a natural progression. When this team got in the playoffs... <laughs> We all thought the Chicago Blackhawks, you have, if I'm not mistaken, 38 fewer points than the Blackhawks. Yeah. And and this was not in the days of the one versus eight. This was in the Norse division at the time. One played four, three played, uh, two played three. And so, yeah, 38 fewer points than the Blackhawks, who were a juggernaut. Um, 37 fewer points than the Blues, who they played in the second round. But when that Blackhawks series started... Literally, you thought to yourself, they win one game. I guess that's good. Wow. But but the bigger feeling at that time as you started the playoffs, so I'm not talking about the time that you got to the second or third round, the more dominant feeling at that time was, and who really cares? 7,000 fans. So when did, when did people, I'm assuming people really, they, they won game one against the Blackhawks in Chicago. They come, so then they, then they split the two games in Chicago. They come back. For the first playoff game at the Met Center in ten years, game three of the first round. When did people start to sort of buy into what was happening? Was it after the Blackhawks series, or did people buy in? Like, I've got the answer. So they they took out Chicago in six games, mm-hmm. um, four to two. Game six was here in Bloomington. That crowd that night for Game six. So when they capped off that series was fifteen thousand two hundred seventy four. It was the largest crowd of the season in the building and the second sellout all year. Okay. So I would say around, I would say capping it off against the Blackhawks in game six, because I think fans at that point in time still loathe the Blackhawks. Like that was the hated team if you were a North Stars fan. And so I would say it was about game six when they closed out the Blackhawks that at least it became fashionable to think, oh, this could be fun. Now, Stanley Cup final run? Absolutely not. But 
I think up until then, it was sort of like, oh, that's cute. They've won two games or something. That's really hard to fathom because the X has just been packed for 20 years. I know. And they've had similar stretches where they've just been kind of mediocre, but... Um, I it's it's hard to envision like seven thousand people sitting inside the X and just like empty sections and nobody cares at all. The state of hockey really wasn't a thing until nope. the Wild came along. So you know, credit to branding. I'll still take the North Stars branding over like right. the the Wild the last twenty years. But right. Um. So all right. When when you get into this series against the Penguins, from what you remember, and they're up two games to one, game four home. At the Met Center, mm-hmm. was the feeling, oh my God, like this team's going to win the Stanley Cup right now? By then, yeah, it felt different. And the weird thing about this team, if you go back and look, because they weren't good in uh, during the course of the season, and I think they were the second. I think Vancouver was the worst team to make the playoffs. They actually had fewer points and made the playoffs. Yeah. So out of the 16 teams that made the playoffs in 90-91, Vancouver was 16th, the North Stars were 15th. But what this team did was, when the North Stars made this run, Chicago, so they opened at Chicago, they opened at St. Louis, they opened at Edmonton, they won game one, and then they did the same exact thing against Pittsburgh. So they go up 2-1 to one against Pittsburgh, and there was no question that Pittsburgh was ultra talented and really, really good. Okay. So it's not like, ah, they're good. They're... But there was a feeling, I think, up two to one. It felt like, as we, we heard in the open from Ron McClain there, it felt like a Cinderella run. And at some point in time, it started to feel like they could do this. Yeah. They got spanked, by the way, in the decisive game six at I, home, eight to nothing. Just I, uh, series over, man. I was wow. scheduled to work that night. I actually paid a co-worker who was off that night to cover my shift so I could go watch that. The only redeeming thing is this. They got spanked, but I got to see the cup. <laughs> and I got to see the cup paraded. And and I've seen the cup before and since. That's just a classic Minnesota there, sports fan thing. But like, I got listen. to see the cup paraded around by Lemieux and the boys, and it was pretty cool. Man. I'll give you that. So if they had won the Stanley Cup in 1991... I know where you're do going do they this. move to Dallas? Um, is that where you thought I was going? Yes, okay. and, and the answer is Rob. So the question becomes: Then do they essentially start to sell out the building the next season, and the season tickets uh, go sky high? Because after Probably. this, they did not. If you win a Stanley Cup, my guess is yes. My guess is a combination of a Stanley Cup championship. Coupled with Madonna coming of age and shortly thereafter becoming a superstar. Because during the spring of, of 91, Mike was, I think, 20 years old. Yeah. So if you couple the two things of you've won a cup and now you're selling a ton of season tickets. And Madonna now, as he gets to be 23 or so, is an absolute National Hockey League superstar. My gut response to your question is they probably don't leave because the, circumst- the circumstances change. And if they win a cup and Norm tries to bail... I would think that a local investor or yeah. a group probably comes up pretty fast, don't you? I, I agree. That makes the most sense. Or they find some way to work out a deal with Target Center. Like The, the team would have had more clout, I think, right. with a Stanley Cup behind it. Um, but as it was, they lost the last three games of the series, 5-3, uh, to 6-4, to four, and then 8 to nothing, like we said, to, to end it. All right. You had a conversation a little while back with Lou Nanny mm-hmm. as part of Judd's Hockey Show. And it was so good and such a good deep dive into the 1991 improbable run to 
Game six of the Stanley Cup Finals. Let's let's hear from Lou Nanny. This is Judge Zolgat and Lou Nanny, and Mike Madonna will join the show here on Minnesota Sports Rewind in about twenty minutes from now. But this is Lou Nanny's. No, just to set this up real quick, Lou was no longer the general manager. What Correct. was what was Lou's role at this time? He had told Norm that he was going to leave the franchise previous to this, and I think Norm convinced him to stay on. He had been team president, so he went from GM to president, and I believe. He had told Norm that he had a job in the business community in Minneapolis, was going to leave. Norm said, please don't leave. And so I think Lou Lou stuck around. But during the course of this run, he very much knew that he was going to depart the North Stars. He clearly didn't know that the North Stars were going to depart him at the time. But yeah, so his role at this point in time uh, was winding things down and I think just easing in the transition. Sure. So so this is uh, this is Lou's perspective on the improbable 91 cup run. Clearly, the the uh, stress or pressure on you wasn't as great as it was when you were GM. But nonetheless, Lou, what was that like uh, calling games during that playoff run on TV? Because knowing you, there probably was some stress. <laughs> well, there was because we wanted to win. And, and if you remember, just before the finals, I, I believe it was uh, Edmonton Oilers we beat. And, and it was. beat the Oilers. Yep. To beat the Oilers after their great runs and still had a great team, and how many times they knocked, you know, beat us. Uh, and I, I still remember doing the interview after the game, uh, the winning game there in the locker room, the exhilaration uh, I felt and everybody else in there felt, but uh, the feeling to knock them off, uh, uh, it was it was special. It was special. I, I must have done. I don't know, about 20 minutes, 25 minutes just of interviewing people around the locker room at that time, and, and I can still remember the exuberance. The, the, the locker room was crazy. It was, you know, it was a huge, huge thing that we ended up beating Edmonton. And, you know, we were, like you said, we were 16th, I think, that year in the league of the 16 in points of the 16 play, teams that made the playoffs. And here we go knock off the Vaughn Oilers before we get to play Pittsburgh. And so, yeah, the, the playoffs that year went, it took the North Stars six games, Lou, to beat Chicago, six games to beat St. Louis, five uh, to beat the Oilers and get to the Stanley Cup Finals. After the team beat St. Louis, was, was there a point then, so it, you threw two rounds at that point, was there a feeling then that this might be special? You know, I, I'd like to say yes, but i got to say no. <laughs> we still sure. were such underdogs. And and the fact that we were getting to the semifinals was something that I, I believe uh, was a major achievement, and 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 everybody felt that way. The expectations were not that we, we were going to beat uh, the Oilers, but the fact that we got to the semifinals and what a great thing this was. What if we could end up beating the Oilers too? Mm-hmm. And so, so you get to the Stanley Cup Finals, Louie, and and uh, play Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh in Game One of that series and win five to four. What do you recall yourself thinking as the North Stars go into Pittsburgh as you as you were talking about playing this great team, Mario's on that team, and coming away at least after Game One with a one game lead? Well, I got to tell you, if you remember back to our '81 team when we went to the finals against uh, the Islanders. The key in, in that run was, if you check all the games, Boston, Buffalo, Calgary, we won the first game of every series. And, and so we won the series. 
Yep. Now, when we played the Islanders, we were playing well in that first game, but then we took penalties. Goring got two short on the goals against us. So we lost the first game. We lost the series. So now when you look at this run we got in 91, and and now we're in Pittsburgh, win the first round, I mean the first game. Now I'm thinking back to 81 saying, oh, my God, you know, every time we won the first game, we, we won on the road, we won the series. This might be the year. Now this is the first time, this is really the first time that I thought, North Stars have a chance to win the or are going to win the cup because now we win an important game. The team is playing so well all the way through. Uh, Clark and Ganey had, had that team just churning, and the players themselves were just just on fire. The the, the confidence with which they were playing, the goaltending they were getting, uh, everything was seemed like it's gelling together. And then you go into Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and you beat them, and, and now. In your mind, you got to think, you know, now the home ice advantage swings to us. There's no reason why we're not going to win. So that, that, that's that's where I was at that time. Yeah, and Casey was fantastic, right? He was unbelievable. Johnny was, yeah. He was terrific, yeah. So, yeah, in, in fact, if you go back and look at that 91 playoff run, Lou, at Chicago, game one in the first round, 4-3, North Stars win in overtime. Game one at St. Louis again in the second round, 2-1 win by the Stars. Uh, Third round, game one, at the Oilers, of course, 3-1 win, and then get to the uh, cup finals and win 5-4. So so you're right, that definitely in throughout all those series set a tone. Yeah, and not only set a tone, it it brings you back to 81. It's reminiscent of that, and every time you... We won game one. We won the, the series, and like I, I, I maintain today, when you go into the playoffs, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if you take a look, the one game mm-hmm. that really you can steal more than any other is the first game of the series. So I don't mind if I'm if I got a team in the Stanley Cup playoffs that we're on the road first because it just seems that that game more than any other game, you have the opportunity to, to win. On the road, and, mm-hmm. and you swing home ice into your advantage. And so now, after having done it again for three rounds, and you go to Pittsburgh and do it, uh, you know, maybe being as superstitious or OCD as I am, yeah. I think back to '81, and now, now I'm feeling, oh my goodness, this this really is it, because now we finally did win the the first game in the in the championship round, which we were unable to do against the Islanders, and so this might be the difference. Which turned out it wasn't, thanks to Mario Lemieux, because uh, the guys, you know, you got to name the top, I easily in the top five, maybe the top three, and and sometimes some people even say the top uh, two and one. So he just took control, guy, right? He he just took control of the series. Mm-hmm. When when you're six foot five, and you could do all the things he did, and if you look back at Mario Lemieux's career. Even though he was great, and he was great right out of the gate, he was like a Madonna early, all offense, no defense, and and just, you know, not the complete player that he, he became. But not only that, in my mind, the most important thing that happened in Mario, Mario Lemieux's career was in 1987 in the Canada Cup. Yep. And I say that because in the Canada Cup, he played with Wayne, Wayne Gretzky. And, and in the Canada Cup, they had to beat the Russians. And and throughout that Canada Cup, 
Mario Lemieux is a teammate of Wayne Gretzky. He's playing with him a lot of times on the ice. And, and I really believe that he learned to commit even more to being a leader, the, the dominant player, and, and doing what it takes to become the best he could be by being with Gretzky. I, I, I firmly believe the fact that Gretzky's, you know, uh, being a teammate had on Lemieux was the turning point in Lemieux's career where he became even more dominant than he ever was. From 87 on, he was probably the best player in the league. You know, he, his totals, I think if you look back, were, were unbelievable and, and certainly matched Gretzky's. And, and the guy, six foot five, capable of doing everything, did everything. And that's why Pittsburgh was so good. And that again proves your long-standing point, where if you get if you get really bad or are just awful at the right time, it can be the best thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, just well, an, another example, it, Judd. Even in this day and age, yeah, it all depends when you get bad. I mean, yep. you know, you get bad at the right time, and, and you get a guy like Toronto gotten Austin Matthews, and Buffalo gotten Jack Eichel, and, and Edmonton's gotten Connor McDavid. Uh, you got that kind of talent. You got. You got the major building block now. It still takes a lot to to win. It's, look at Edmonton; they, they've still, you know, made a number of mistakes where they haven't been able to fill in the pieces. But I, I, I guarantee you, they will get there if, if McDavid stays there. That they'll be one of the better players as they they're going through this. And you know, Buffalo's already made a lot of strides in what they're adding, mm-hmm. and so is Toronto. And 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 it's always. You know, you get a generation, generational player every now and then. And when you get one, then you got to keep them and, and make certain you fill in the pieces around them because then you got success for a long, long time. So, Lou, you're, you're at, at that point about to leave the uh, North Stars organization, but you're a lifelong, you know, devo- devotee to the, to that uh, franchise. What was that like to uh, just to watch the success that that team had with with Bobby Clark as, as GM, and as we talked about, gaining his coach because Bobby Clark as GM, you know, I grew up with him being a flyer. He's a lifelong at that point flyer. What was that like to look at the GM chair and coach's chair and and, and have a great from the Canadians and a great from the Flyers in, in the GM chair uh, at that point in charge of the North Stars? I thought it was magnificent because uh, those two guys. In my mind, were among the greatest ever, and I, I competed against them for you know uh, ten years. And not only that, I was on the players' association with them for for seven years. And and uh, in in the case of Ganey, about six years, and Bobby uh, six years. But I was there for seven years, and and so I you know I got to know them really well and respect them a lot, and and I just take a look at that team, the North Star team, and, and the team that I've been associated with all my life, a lot of kids that I had drafted and brought there. And then I, I look down and see them being run by two, in my mind, of the best competitors ever played the game and, and champions from from Montreal and, and Philadelphia. It's just like icing on the cake. I just, like, I just loved it. I just, I, you know, I was just thrilled with it, and I just, I guess you know I. You get in the, in the finals again, and you start just agonizing again. Please let this happen, <laughs> you know. You know, and just 
you you just think that maybe finally this is the year because uh, those guys have been fortunate enough to have won cups and and that's something I was never able to do and it's some that still bugs me to this day because that's the ultimate and that's what you want to do when you're competing and and uh, and it, it was just a terrific ride anyway and and the fact that they did so much to bring the North Stars back, but not only that, developed the careers of the kids that they had because those two guys uh, know the game so well and competed so hard. And and the guys looking at him, when you're talking to Bob Ganey and then he's telling you something, you might be upset the way he's telling you something or you might be upset with what he's saying, but you can't be thinking that he doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> because yeah. the, the proof is in the pudding. So did you, when when you were about to, to leave then, and the team goes on the, the Stanley Cup run, spring of 91, Lou, when you left then, and clearly you were uh, forging a new path for yourself, did you have any inkling that things were about to go as wrong as they did quickly? Because, you know, in the spring of 91, Norm Green was a hero here. People were chanting, Norm, Norm, Norm. Did you have a, a gut feeling about, not necessarily the team was going to up and move, but a gut feeling about the fact that this might not be the greatest sustainable plan here? No, I didn't. I, because now you end on the high note when I'm leaving. And and I should have known, though. I should have known because if you go back and look at the jerseys, Norm had me uh, re- redesign a jersey. He said, we need another jersey, just the stars. I don't want the... The end there, I just want the stars. And so I went to Bill Mack. Bill Mack, you know, he's a tremendous artist. He lives in the Twin Cities. Uh, he's uh, housed, the, you know, players for us. And uh, his family was always very, very supportive of the North Stars. And Bill is the guy that designed the Hobie Baker Award, the sculpture. Sure. Bill's a sculpture guy, and he's really good. So I went to Bill. I said, you know, uh, Norm wants another jersey with the stars. Like, Can you come up with something? So he's the guy that designed the Stars jersey with the star in the front. Now, unbeknownst to me, I don't even know if he was talking just Stars then or maybe just had a feeling of going somewhere else and keeping just the name Stars. So I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But uh, as it turns out, uh, that became, you know, the name for the Dallas Stars, and he kept the Stars. But to me, I, I just thought he was just one another, you know, like Norman had all these quirky things like, if he walked around the, the the concourse before a game, he'd come back to some fan and give him an idea. And then many times it was outlandish ideas. And he'd come down and he said, Louie, we got to do this. And I said, Norm, you got to quit walking the concourse. <laughs> and, you know, it just, uh, it was different. So, but he was committed when he put that $7 million in the building and, and uh, then having that run and seemingly being on top of the world that, I thought, you know, I thought things were well on its way to being very, very strong and and successful there. Last thing, Lou, did you? Uh, so, so the eighty-one run to the finals, you were confident after that 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 team was going to remain very solid for years to come. The ninety-one run, as you walked out the door there, what was your feeling? Not about off the ice situations, but about where that team was at. Uh, the next year, and how long that was going to be sustainable? Well, I thought they had a great foundation, a great base. Uh, I, 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 I thought the, the the fans were were back, and Norm was committed to staying there. I, 
he showed his commitment by putting money into the team. That's why, you know, as much as people get upset with him for leaving, i got to tell you, the Sports and Facilities Commission did not support him. They did not give him the help he needed, and, and he couldn't afford it. And, you know, his, uh, his real estate uh, holdings weren't uh, as, as uh, profitable as they had been or were going to be, or, I mean, uh, uh, were able to be, and... and uh, he needed help, and he wasn't getting it. So I, I didn't know all this, and 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 when he didn't get the help to put the money in the building and and do more, he got that offer from Dallas. He was able to do it, and he moved it. But that was very surprising to me because I thought, you know, this team again has got a great nucleus mm-hmm. uh, of uh, of a team. It's got unbelievable leadership. You know, with Clark and Ganey, and uh, and Norm loved being in hockey. So I, you know, I figured he'd do anything he had to do to to, to give them the assets they needed to be successful. So I, I was, I was just blown away that it never materialized where the North Star stayed there. That was Lou Nanny looking back on not only the '91 Cup run, the improbable '91 Cup run by the North Stars, but also. What happened in the two years afterwards? When we come back to Minnesota Sports Rewind, Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, Declan Goff here. Mike Madonna will join and give his perspective on that 1991 run to the Stanley Cup Finals. You're listening to Minnesota Sports Score North Download, Declan Goff with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad right now on Minnesota Sports Rewind. You may not be currently thinking about blood donation, but blood is needed every day by patients facing a range of serious illnesses, even during the coronavirus pandemic. If you are healthy, please schedule an appointment to donate by visiting redcrossblood.org or use keyword red at scorenorth.com. Also at scorenorth.com, what remains on the Vikings off-season checklist? That comes from Matthew Collar. We'll get into that topic on Scorenorth Live at noon with Rami Makloff. Judd Zolgad, Matthew Collar will join at 1 o'clock, followed by Purple Daily, and then Mackey and Judd with Rami. In the meantime, though, we'll get back into the Minnesota Sports Rewind on the North Stars' run to the 91 Stanley Cup Final. Thank you, Declan. Yeah, we're in the middle of this deep dive here, and Lou Nanny from his perch, having essentially run the entire uh, North Stars organization as the general manager throughout the 80s and had uh, been moving his way out of the organization but still very much apart, told his side of the 91 Cup run in that last segment. And now, Judd Zolgat, let's hear from Mike Madonna. Mike Madonna was 20 years old. Yep. He was a budding superstar. Uh, he was the number one overall pick just three years earlier. Mm-hmm. And he was a big part of why... This team was able to flip the switch and do what they did in uh, April and, and May that year. Eight goals mm-hmm. in uh, in those playoffs. He played in 23 games, eight goals, and 20 points. So he played a big role in that. You're correct. And then he became one of the one of the best players in that 25-year era of NHL and hockey. And he became a, ho- was a Hall of Famer for the Dallas Stars. Thanks a lot, Phil Mackey. This look back is all about one of the most improbable runs for the North Stars in 1991. And this is our conversation with... Mike Madano. Welcome in. Over 400 career goals in the NHL, over 1,000 career points, Stanley Cup winner, Hockey Hall of Famer, and current executive advisor for the Minnesota Wild. Our next guest, Mike Madano. Thank you for joining the show today, Mike. I'm pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We would love your... I mean, you, you were second year in the NHL. You're 20 years old. And most teams in the NHL during that period made the playoffs. and They had a wide playoff bracket. And so you guys snuck in as the seventh seed, 
and had to go up against powerhouses. Chicago and St. Louis both had over 100 points in the regular season, and not many people were giving the Minnesota North Stars a chance to do really anything in the playoffs, let alone go to Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. What stands out most to you about why you guys are able to flip a switch come postseason for that run in 1991, Mike? You know, I think our obviously our expectations were very low. I think we just we were just kind of lucky to get in. I think I'm trying to figure out when we. I think it was one of the last games of the year. Um, you know, we 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 won in Chicago against Chicago at home. Um, we like lot. We like won two of our last. Like I'm looking here, last nine or ten games of the year we won. Um, so it was just a brutal finish to our season, and and to get in with with what we got as far as 68 points um, was really uh, was something else. But I think we knew going in that listen, we're going against the President's Trump Trophy winner. It's kind of an omen to win that thing some some years for some teams, and um, we just knew going into it if you we were. I, I think the one thing Ganey was really stressing at the time is just be disciplined. Chicago's, you know, they play tough and physical. If we can be patient and disciplined, we felt we had a pretty good power play if we got onto it uh, enough. Um, it was just a matter of holding our composure and not retaliating. Um, you know, so we, we, we get off to that great start. We went in overtime in Chicago and then, um, you know, Throughout the whole course of the playoffs, we won every game on the road at the start of the season and start of the series. So we always got home ice right back, right off the, the start. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, going back to it, it was, it was the power play that won us that series for sure against Chicago. And I think to this day, it's still, we still hold the record for most power play goals in a playoff year. Mike, at, at- what point in time in that series also did the confidence start to build? And how much did you sense, back to your point about the Blackhawks having won the President's Trophy with 100 and I believe six points in that season, when did you guys start to sense that they might actually be a little bit tight? Because, as you said, going into that series, you basically had very little to lose, and they had a ton to lose. Yeah, I, I think it was always getting off to a good start. And, and winning game one in Chicago, it really kind of, you know, in overtime, it really kind of gave us a little jolt of energy. It, it kind of put Chicago on their heels a little bit. Um, you know, so we're we're kind of you always want to go into obviously getting the split, winning one or game one or game two, and you know when you get get, get game one, you get a little bit of confidence, and you're like, okay, let's let's just get, see how game two unravels, and um, you know we we kind of uh, didn't play too well in game two, and lost a tight one in game three back home in Minnesota. But from then on, it was really kind of, we, we, we just knuckled down and played great defense. I mean, I think we allowed like, it looks like it's like two goals in the last three games of that series. So we played great. We shut them out in Chicago, six, nothing. So, I mean, that, that really kind of set the tone to go back to Minnesota to try to close them out. Who led it, that team at, at that point? Was it Ganey? Uh, Bobby Smith and players like Bellows, as you look back on that run, and especially as it started against the Blackhawks, was there a person or a couple people that sort of uh, picked up the mantle and carried it as far as the uh, room went? Um, 
you know, it was, it was pretty collectively. I think, I think obviously Brian Bellows was one of those guys. Neil was still there, brought and Bob Ganey was just a strong voice. He just had a great game plan, you know, uh, tactically. I think he's one of the best I've ever been around. Um, so we were really prepared going into this series. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, uh, collection of guys. Stu Gavin was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we had, we had a, we had a good, uh, group of uh, veteran guys that, uh, you know, really thought that, uh, hey, let's just go lay it out there and see what happens and see how far we can take this. And, Mike, at that point in time, you're in year two. Uh, what are your recollections at that point where you were obviously a great junior player, the uh, top overall pick in 88, high-scoring kid, uh, as far as what Ganey was asking you to do at both ends of the ice, which I'm sure at that point in time in your life was probably meant with reluctance. But when you look back on that now, how important was that transition for you to become the complete player that you eventually did? Um, yeah, when you're going through it, you you hate it, and you just like don't understand it at the time, and you're you know 19, and you're like, okay, you want me to play defense and change my whole game? I mean, I felt like this is what they brought me in to do. This is why they drafted me to to uh, be a stats guy and put some numbers and try to win games that way. But uh, it was uh, it was a rude awakening. I think Bob and I butted heads quite often just to kind of uh, really understand what the possibilities of for myself personally if if I was to add that type of uh, uh, area to my game, being a little bit more responsible in my own zone and face-offs and, you know, not really thinking too much offense and cheating the game a little bit. So that, that took a long time to uh, process and probably didn't happen until my first year with Hitchcock down in Dallas that really just kind of, uh, you know, the lights went off and everything, uh, the lights came on, and, so to speak, and, and everything kind of took off from there. But, uh, yeah, Early on, it was really tough with Bob that, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how he envisioned it. And being young, you're just kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's in one ear and out the other. What is it like being, I mean, you think, think about the, the normal workforce and 19, 20, and 21-year-olds usually go to college and they you know, do college things and then maybe get an internship and, like, then you have to start being professional when you're, like, 25. And, but, like, when you're the number one pick and you're 19, 20 years old, and you're in this position of influence in your in your sport. What is it like, also staring across the ice at the Mario Lemieux of the world, like you did in the finals that year, but being like 20 years old and being mostly a kid? Um, it was um, it was, you know, I think being young, you really don't maybe understand the the circumstances that you're in and and the. Uh, the intensity of, of the playoffs and everything else and, and the, the, uh, the Mario Lemieux factor and playing against Brett Hall and uh, Mark Messier and these guys in Edmonton. It was just really, um, um, you know, I, I think at that point it was good to be young. You just don't underestimate, you underestimate the situation, and you know, until you get older. You're like, wow, that, that, you get a little more nervous, I think, as you get older. When you're young, you're just kind of, Reckless abandon, you just go out there and play and, and, and not worrying about who your opponent is at the time. But, uh, yeah, looking back at it, it was, it, there were some phenomenal players and, uh, great teams that we played against at that point. Mike, how much did that playoff run help your career too? Just as far as, cause I believe in your first year with the North Stars, you guys got knocked out in the first round by the Blackhawks. Uh, so to go through, um, four rounds of playoffs and, and each one becoming more intense, 
How much did that help you mature and develop quickly to see where you go from from regular season hockey, which of course is pretty good, but to playoff hockey, which is probably turned up by the round um, by several uh, by several steps. Um, I, I think yeah, I think it was a great uh, as far as experience to really kind of see how far you could push yourself or be pushed physically and mentally, um, playing every other day, playing you know five, six, seven game series, uh, for two months. Um, it really kind of tests a lot of, uh, a lot about yourself. So I think that's a, it was a good, uh, eye opener for me to know that, Hey, you can come, you can get through it and come out the other side and be, and be fine and get through it. Um, um, so it was, it was a good, you know, good chance. I was, I'm glad it happened to me early in my career just so I could get a taste of it and just really know that, wow, it takes a lot to win the, win the cup. It just takes a lot to get to the finals and get to the playoffs. So it was, uh, experience wise. Um, I couldn't have asked for a better, uh, start to my career going into this situation this spring, uh, in Minnesota, my second year with the North stars. What's that grind like just to go from playing in, in your second year in the regular season, Mike, you played 79 games, but then to go from, from that to the grind of, uh, months of playoffs, What's that experience like? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's thrilling. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a rush. I mean, uh, you know, the fans are in into it. I mean, every play, every save, every power play, every block shot, everything is just, uh, magnified a little bit. Um, the details of the game are so, uh, so important as to how some games might be played out or how you might win games um you know so it, it really is uh uh you know at such a high level of everything you know just focus concentrating executing the play um not getting too intimidated not getting down staying level-headed um you know so there's a lot of things that go into it just to kind of keep a, an even keel throughout uh, a springtime playoff run so um it was. It just had everything, uh, every emotion you can ask for uh, when you go through those type of uh, experiences. Uh, Mike McDonough, you were you were drafted in 1988. Our friend Lou Nanny, uh, before he wound up stepping down later on in 1988, he drafted you. Uh, do you have a favorite Lou Nanny story you can tell us? A favorite Lou Nanny story from when you were a hot prospect? What 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 was that interaction like with the legendary Lou? Um, I, I just recall from the start, it was always good. I mean, he was just real, uh, easy to talk to. I think there was really never, um, this, uh, uncomfortable quietness between the two of us. I think we always enjoyed each other's company. We always had great things to talk about. I mean, he, he always has a ton of great stories. Um, uh, I, you know, it's hard to say one. I think he just, he, he, he recollects a lot of, um, uh, thoughts throughout that spring going into the, uh, the draft and, um, you know, what he was kind of, uh, led to believe and what he thought, uh, through the guns and through his, uh, his scouting staff. And, and, um, I think it wasn't until he kind of saw me in person play that he thought, you yeah, know, this is, uh, we're going this direction. I don't care what the guns or whatever anybody else says. So I was pretty, uh, pretty, 
I guess pretty lucky for him to come watch me personally because I don't think he went and watched Trevor at all. He came and watched me, and you know his staff was kind of maybe fifty fifty on what they should do, and and um, you know so uh, uh, you know we still we still have some great uh, great talks when I see him at the rink at the games and stuff about that whole experience because it was a lot of fun. So in that playoff. Um... In the first round, you, as you mentioned, Mike, you go down two to one to Chicago, come back and win that series four two, and and then back in the old days, you go to what were then called the Norris Division Finals, and you play a Blues team that had only finished one point behind the Blackhawks uh, in the Norris Division. They had one hundred five points. You never trail in that series. Beat them four to two. Go to the Campbell Conference Finals and uh, beat the Oilers four to one to advance to the Stanley Cup and play Pittsburgh. At what point in time did this probably turn from, uh, wow, this is a nice run to, oh, my God, this is really serious? Because, <laughs> I mean, you got, you, it, I mean, you, you continue to win tough games. I think it was after, I mean, certainly going into Edmonton and doing what we did. I think, we, again, we, we stole game one and, you know, they came back and killed us 7-2. But then we beat them 7-3-5-1 the next two games in Minnesota. So we're like, you know. We can score goals against these guys. It was, you know, Messier and, I mean, Grant Fuhrer, all these guys that you just, you remember from the heyday in their early 80s that they were still <laughs> together. So um, it was really uh, eye-opening to us that when we clinched in Edmonton um, that we're like, wow, this is, you know, it's anybody's game now. We can go to the finals and just, you know, let it all out and see what happens. But, yeah, certainly after that finals, or the conference finals were like, you know, down to two game, two teams, and you know anything can happen now. And then you get up two games to one against Pittsburgh for the cup. I mean, I'm, at, at, you're probably not counting. Uh, you know, you're not you're not counting down to a celebration at two games. But what did you guys think when you were up two games to one? Yeah, that that was in the back of our mind. I mean, we were still we we're only two wins away. Um, again, we, we split to start in Pittsburgh, won game one, but I think Mario Lemieux didn't play game three, if I re- recollect, and we won that one 3-1. Um, I think he played a little bit in game four. They won, and then um, and then it was the Mario show after that. <laughs> game five, the game six, it was just uh, a real meltdown of all meltdowns. I mean, it was, it was kind of a, the, the worst scenario finish you could ask for uh, for those last two games for us, we just, we couldn't do anything right. It looked like the, um, October North stars at the time again for the last two games. I went to game six, Mike, that, yeah, that was not a pretty <laughs> night. Definitely no. not. No. Hey, what, what was the Met like too, as that place built up and obviously, you know, started to have sellout crowds at some point in time there. What was the experience like of playing before North Star fans who, if I'm not mistaken, at the start of that season, uh, I think you guys opened that year. If I want to say the 1991 season might have opened at home against the Blues, and there were about 5,000 people there. So as that playoff run accelerated and that place got jammed in the spring, how much fun did that become just from a fan standpoint of you guys playing before them? Um, yeah, it would just it just turned into, you know, I think one of those uh, – perfect storms. I think the fans just kind of got on a, on a high and we were playing great. And, you know, every home game was just so intense and we, you know, we won the majority of them at home. We never, I think we only lost maybe one game 
um, all playoffs at home, one or two, I think. So we're, our record at home was just phenomenal. So that, that a lot had to do with the fans and, and how they were just, I mean, they were just on board and they were just going crazy. They just thought, you know, this was the last thing that they thought they might be, uh, envisioning happening with us and likely with us as well. So it was just kind of, uh, you know, just a run for, for the ages for the fans too. I mean, every, every game, every series, it just got more amped up. And, and I mean, the net being as small as it was, it, 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 uh, it pumped out some noise there coming towards the end there. Well, Mike, we appreciate it. We appreciate your career and uh, and everything you've done for for Minnesota hockey, and we wish you the best during this, however long it lasts, quarantine period, too, man. Thanks thank, for coming on. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take Be care. Safe. Right, the care. legendary Mike Madano reflecting on the 1991 run to Game Six is where the road ended for the Minnesota North Stars, and we got a couple minutes left in this episode here our deep dive into one of the most improbable playoff runs in Minnesota sports history. And Judd floated a couple minutes ago. Uh, I think we have the clip here that yeah, Declan found do. on YouTube. I know it's not a North Stars highlight, <laughs> but Mario Lemieux scored one of the greatest goals in really in playoff history. To find the series. Let's let's fire this up and Judd can explain. All right, explain explain that goal to the audio audience. So, it's yeah, game two. The North Stars had won game one. We're in Pittsburgh. Lemieux takes a pass from, I believe it was a guy by the name of Bob Erie, who's still a broadcaster for the Penguins. He takes a pass. And the first move is on a North Star defenseman by the name of Sean Chambers. And I, I think you're watching it right now, Phil. It's ridiculous. But I believe the term I could use is he undresses him. Yeah. Like, Sean Chambers goes for the, I'm going to stop him. No, I'm not. It, it looks like it looks like they're playing pond hockey, and Sean Chambers is eight years old, and Mario is 15. The next defenseman is a young man by the name of Neil Wilkinson, who actually was a pretty good player. He's got no chance. Like, that's, uh, you're gone. And then poor John Casey, who, as Louie told us, had a great playoff series, is comes out for the poke check. Mm. Let's just say that Mario Lemieux doesn't take a goaltender trying to poke check him well or seriously. <laughs> and so he just sort of dances around Casey and scores. But to go back, the move on Chambers is absolutely epic because it was it was a move that I believe is still used on the opening of Hockey Night in Canada to this yeah. day. And Mario Lemieux's um, statistical line, 23 games in the spring Playoff games in the spring of 1991, gentlemen, 16 goals and 44 points in 23 games. Dude, that ridiculous. was one of 16 goals. Connor that's McDavid, ridiculous. Connor McDavid of the Oilers decks might be able to score a semblance of that goal now, but other than that, I can't tell you a current player who could make that no. move and get away with it and score that goal. Can no, you? Not at all. I, I would think probably McDavid, and that would probably be the list. I mean, that that he just undresses him the whole time. And a, a guy like Super Mario too in that era was insane, and his career is short. I mean, yeah, he he, really, he took like a four year hiatus and yeah, came back. He mm-hmm. had the cancer. He had mm-hmm. he was dealing with the cancer, but mm-hmm. he also could have played a lot longer. But he's still, I think, regarded as I think as a top five player, and he really only played I think maybe ten, twelve seasons, considering and considering how many great hockey players there are that play forever. 
I mean, he called it quits pretty early. I mean, he's the he is the reason why the Minnesota North Stars and why Minnesota hockey doesn't have a Stanley Cup championship. Right? If you if you replace Mario Lemieux with just a really good just player, a I don't know if they come possibly. back from down two games to one. I mean, he's incredible. But that goal, as much if you're an North Star fan, that night that that goal hurt. That goal is so much fun to go back and watch. <laughs> Mark, it's just ridiculous. Mario yeah. Lemieux and Nick Foles. Those are the two guys that are preventing our championships here in wow. Minnesota. Wow. <laughs> Never again will they be mentioned in the same oh, sentence, Declan man. Goff. <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Mario Lemieux and Nick Foles in the same sentence right there. <laughs> Never again That's will amazing. Nick Foles and Mario Lemieux be in the same company. <laughs> but you're not necessarily wrong in saying that. At uh, least as far as advancing. By the way, we have a close cousin to this episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind. It's the deep dive we did a couple days ago into the North Stars moving to Dallas in 1993. And Madonna joined us for that one as well. So if you're looking for about 20 episodes and deep dives into prominent Minnesota sports events to binge over the weekend, quarantine weekend, check it out. Minnesota Sports Rewind, Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app. It really helps when you give the show a five-star rating and a positive review. It helps spread the word to fellow Minnesota sports fans. That's a wrap. I'm Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad, Declan Goff. Thanks to Lou Nanny. Thanks to Mike Madano for joining us on this episode. Coming up next, live on Score North, the appropriately named Score North Live. I don't know anything about technology. Hey, it's easy to listen to Score North on 1500 on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, open Score North. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. It's adapted from alien technology. Time is running out for some cash relief with Score North listening rewards in the month of April. And thanks to our awesome partners, Score North is giving you the chance at $25 to $200 cash for just listening to us and having the Score North app. For your chance at free cash, download the Score North app and enter. Hi, this is Daniel Roo of the Real GM Radio Podcast. And while the NBA season is still pretty new, there are some interesting storylines going on. And for me, one of them is, let's call it a shift in expectations, because there are a couple teams that we expected to be not necessarily pushing the accelerator in the early going in the season, maybe seeing Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, this purportedly strong 2023 draft class, and going, hey, we could be a part of that. And that would be the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. Both teams are over 500 with some nice wins. And this isn't fluke. They're playing well so far, and so we will see how they build on this, how they react to it. Do they keep pushing, see if the CEO can keep going, or do they change directions through trades and everything else? So that'll be something to watch in this year where the draft class is, is strong and these teams have incentives going in both directions. Hi, this is Daniel LaRue from the Real GM Radio Podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, matchups, news, in-depth analysis, and live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. Can check in on your favorite games and events, including the baseball playoffs, start of the hockey season, MMA, boxing, and golf, plus sports podcasts. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts.